And so reconciliation takes us into that dimension with God, peace with God, adoption into his family, access to God, to reveal a new relationship into which God has brought us as a result of the death of Jesus. Now, we're going to think about three things from the passage that I've just read from us, uh, for us, about reconciliation. And the first heading tonight is God is the author of reconciliation. Um, I want us to think a little bit about sin, first of all. You know, we've thought about sin in, in terms of legal references uh, over the last few weeks, law-breaking, unrighteousness, iniquity. But the notion of reconciliation adds another layer to our understanding of sin. And you can see it a few verses earlier. If you've got the text in front of you, I want you to have a look at verse 15, which I didn't read for us. It says, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I want to suggest to you that it's an excellent definition of sin, especially in our generation. Sin, according to verse 15, is living for yourself. That's what sin is. It's me at the center and everything orbiting around me. Um, sin is a betrayal between us and God. It's living for myself. You know, last week I got a, a speeding phone. Um, 200 bucks for doing 71 in a 60 zone somewhere. I don't even know where. I, but I got an email and there's me, in a picture of me behind my steering wheel and a phone. Now, I felt terrible because I don't want to give the municipality 200 rand. But I didn't feel like I had offended any particular person. But I want you to notice that what Paul does here is he helps us to understand that actually sin is more than just the breaking of some kind of objective law, impersonal law. And you just go and pay a fine and it's all sorted out. Actually, sin is a personal betrayal against God. It's living for yourself when you should be living for God. I wonder if you've experienced personal betrayal. Maybe you've experienced it in the home in which you grew up. Perhaps the marriage that you grew up with, there was personal betrayal. Or maybe there's been betrayal in a friendship or in some other relationship. That pain that we feel when a marriage ends because of betrayal or a friendship ends because of betrayal, that is how we have treated God. It's personal. It's not just some kind of impersonal law that we've broken. How do you think God feels about that? Us living for ourselves in the world that he has created, that points to him, in the bodies that he has given us with the life and the vitality that, he has, that is a gift from him. And we go on as though he doesn't exist, living for ourselves. He takes it personally. It's a personal betrayal. I, I want you to see this verse that will be on the screen, I hope, behind me, Genesis chapter 6. This is um, right back at the flood, before God floods the earth. And look at what this verse says. So the Lord said, I'll wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I made them. Isn't that an interesting thing? It's a little insight into the inner life of the living God. That God is personally grieved by our living for ourselves. 
It hurts him personally. We live in a world that, is, that has a new religion um, in the West, which has arisen over the last few decades. Um, it, it's, it's a religion that says, I can personally identify with whoever or whatever I want to identify with. I am the arbiter of my life. Well, how do you think God feels about that? Living for ourselves is a very good description. The person who betrays another person is a person who is living for themselves in the moment. And what they want is more important than that relationship. And so they will take it. But on the cross, the betrayed God takes steps to fix the broken relationship that has hurt him personally because look at what verse 18 says. It says, all this is from God. He takes the initiative to do it. Look at verse 19. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Here is God, the betrayed, who, who was perfectly within his rights to wait for those who betrayed him to take the first step of reconciliation. That's how we operate. If I am the injured party or the innocent party, I wait for those who have done me harm to take, to take the initiative to reconcile, but not God. He is the injured party, and yet he takes the initiative to bring about reconciliation between us and him. I want to say to you, if you're a husband here tonight, or a future husband, a husband-to-be, do you know that this is how God expects us to behave in marriage as Christian men. It's interesting, he doesn't expect this of women. But in Ephesians chapter 5, God says to us through the Apostle Paul that we are to love our wives like Christ loves the church. I take it that that means whenever there is conflict between me and my wife, even if she has started the trouble, which is never the case in my marriage, but even if I am the innocent party, it is my responsibility to take initiative for reconciliation, for that is how God has treated me, and that is how God has treated you. Isn't that kind? It's unheard of. And so God is the author of reconciliation. He takes the initiative. But secondly, Christ is the agent of reconciliation. Verse 18 and 19 again. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Through Christ and in Christ, the reconciliation takes place. What did God do? How did he accomplish reconciliation through Christ? There are two things in this passage that I want you to see. I want you to see representation, and I want you to see substitution. First, representation, and this comes from verse 14. Also, I didn't read it just earlier in the passage. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. One died for all. That is representation. Christ dies and represents us in that death so that as God punishes Christ, the sinless one, my sins are transferred to him. 
representation. Um, representation is, means inclusion. Christ represents me. When Christ dies, I die. When Christ rises, I rise. Um, representation can be illustrated with, with cricket. So when the teams meet and they've got to work out who's going to field and who's going to bat, the, the captains meet on the pitch, don't they? And they toss. And the captain tosses and makes the decision on behalf of representing, including the rest of the team. That's what representation is. That's what Jesus has done. When he died and rose again, he did so as our representative, including us in that death and resurrection. We who belong to him were incorporated in that death and that resurrection. We died and we rose again. We were included. Christ is our representative. But at the end of the passage, verse 21, there's a slightly different metaphor. It's substitution. Look at verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If representation implies inclusion, then substitution implies exchange. And you know this because you've heard it many times, I'm sure, from this pulpit. But God takes Jesus and he puts him in my place on the cross and treats him the way I deserve to be treated. Wrath, judgment, hell. He took the sinless one and made him sin in my place. And then he takes me and he puts me in Jesus' place and treats me the way Jesus deserves to be treated. Um, inclusion and acceptance. Is that not remarkable? Representation and substitution. And there are three results as a result of those two things. First, our old self is made new. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. We are made new. Instead of living for ourselves, verse 15, our own desires, our own wants, our own way, our own will, we now live for Christ. we made new. One of the great signs that you are reconciled to God is self-forgetfulness. You live for the good of others, no matter what the inconvenience to yourself. Instead of self-centered lives, we live Christ-centered lives. I'm never again going to live the way the world lives. My old self is gone, and the new has come. Secondly, my sin has been removed. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. We spoke about that at length last week. You can find the sermon online. God didn't hold our sins against us, the very root cause of our estrangement with God, sin, selfishness, living for ourselves, that has now been removed from us. So we've been made new, we've had our sins removed, and thirdly, we've been given a new righteousness in verse 21. The sinless one takes our sin in himself. The sinful ones, you and me, are given the righteousness of God in exchange. 
What an amazing thing God has done in the death of Jesus. The sin-bearing, substitutionary, representational death of Jesus is what brings about reconciliation with God. All that is necessary for reconciliation to take place happened on the cross. You are required to do nothing in order to be reconciled to God other than to receive in the present that which was achieved by Jesus in the past. However, there is an aspect of reconciliation that is not complete. And that's my final heading. God is the author, Christ is the agent, we are the ambassadors. And I want you to see that there is an ongoing ministry of reconciliation that we have the great privilege of participating in. You can see this in the end of verse 19. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There is a role for us to play in the world, an ongoing ministry of reconciliation. That uh, Paul says in verse 20, we are the ambassadors of Christ. Of course, he's talking about himself and the other, his fellow apostles, but in a secondary sense, it applies to us as well. We are the ambassadors of Christ. Christ is no longer physically present on the earth. And so we represent Christ in his absence. And we speak for him. One Christian writer says it like this, in his death he represented us. In his physical absence we represent him. And so there is a ministry of reconciliation that we are included in as Christians. We become partners with God because he makes us ambassadors of the great message of reconciliation in the world. It's not a ministry that is given to Jesus. It's not a ministry that is given to the angels. It is a ministry that is given to ordinary, faltering, sinful, limited people like you and me. Is that not a remarkable way for God to treat us? Not only does he bring us into wonderful personal family relationship with himself, but he says, hey, why don't you go and tell others and get them to join the family as well? Now, this is going to have two big challenges for us tonight. First of all, your life matters. If you're a Christian, your life matters. For people, isn't it an amazing thing? It seems so insecure and vulnerable, but God has entrusted the reconciliation of the world to himself to people like us. So the way you live matters because that means that those to whom we represent Christ as we go about our daily lives, they will make their judgment about Jesus based on what they observe in you. Feel the pressure. I think that means we're going to be careful about the way we speak and the way we relate and where we go and what we do and what we don't do because we are the ambassadors of Christ. I wonder if you look at your life, if you think about your life on campus, or with your friends, or at school, some of you, and at, or at work, others of you, how are you going with being an ambassador? For, does anybody know that you belong to Jesus, I wonder? 
Are you any, is there any difference between you and them? Are we so trying to fit into the mold so that we can fit in and not stand out? We're so worried about those things because we are, we, we are living lives for ourselves rather than living a life for Christ. Your life matters. Secondly, your words matter. Let's feel the weight and the privilege of this, friends. God is making his appeal. According to verse 20, God is making his appeal through us to the world. I don't know why he chose to do it like that, but that's how he's chosen to do it. Every Christian ought to have burning in his or her heart a ministry of reconciliation. I'm longing for my friends and my family members and my work colleagues and my fellow students. I'm longing for them to be reconciled to God. That's our mission. Some of you are wondering what the purpose of your life is. Here is the purpose of your life. It's to be Christ's ambassador wherever you land up. It doesn't matter what job you do. God doesn't care what job you do or where you live. He cares about how you live, what your priorities are. He cares about whether or not you are living for yourself or living for Christ. And it might be that some of you have actually just been coasting for too long at varsity. You've got an incredibly unique window of opportunity. You've got nothing to lose to be an ambassador for Christ, but you're too busy living for yourself making sure that you're invited to everything and not, not and fitting in with everybody. Let's stop messing around and do something useful with our lives. Let's be an ambassador for Christ and engage in something that is going to last for eternity, not just for three or four years at university or wherever. That's the purpose of this church, dear friends. The purpose of this church is not social work or social justice or looking after the poor. The purpose of this church is not visiting the sick or counseling. As good as those things are, and we are involved in those things, but the purpose of this church is the great ministry of reconciliation that has been entrusted not to the angels, not to Jesus, but to us. We are the only people in the whole world who have been entrusted with that ministry. What dignity we have. What a great task to give our lives for. And so we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So I wonder, if you're not going to equip, I, I hope you're going to equip. If you're not, I'm sorry to hear that. But that's okay, because you can invite non-Christians to our Easter weekend, because they will hear the, about the ministry of reconciliation. Who are you going to invite? So here's the deal. If you're not coming to equip, you've got to bring a non-Christian on the Easter weekend. How's that? Think about who you can invite. Good Friday, morning service, 9 o'clock. Easter Sunday, morning service, 9 o'clock. No Sunday evening service, because everyone else will be on equip. After the Easter weekend, I'm running a course called Discover Jesus. Can we have that slide up? Discover Jesus is a six-week Wednesday night course from 6.30 till about 8 that is designed especially for skeptics and for unbelievers and for those who would like to ask questions uh, in a non-threatening environment. Who are you going to bring? 
Oh, but it's my Wednesday night. I've got ballroom dancing. Doesn't matter. You're not living for yourself anymore. Bring your non-Christian friend. It's not for your sake. It's for their sake. Bring them. Maybe they'll only come if you invite them and come with them. The truth of reconciliation that we've seen uh, tonight has got embedded in it a universal appeal. And I want you to see the appeal in two places. Look with me again at verse 20. The second half of verse 20 says, We implore you on Christ's behalf, please, please will you be reconciled to God. There's the appeal. That's the urgency. That's the passion. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1, if you've got the text in front of you. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Look at the second part of verse 2. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. There is urgency, dear friends, to this ministry of reconciliation. Can I say to those of you who might not know God, those of you who are still estranged from God, I appeal to you, please, I'm begging you, be reconciled to God. For whatever other problem you might think you have, to be enemies with God is your biggest problem. Be reconciled. How can I be? Don't waste the grace of God. Now is the day of salvation. Today. Don't say, I'll do it when I'm older. I'll live my life and then when I'm old and boring, then I'll do it. How do you know you're going to get old and boring? You could die tomorrow. I hope you don't, but you could. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. Don't waste his grace. Please be reconciled to God. That's all I've got. Who wants to ask a question or make a comment? Don't be shy.